Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your girl Kad Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Johara, Johara Lula. My story was previously featured on episode 8, Weathering the Storm. And now I am back, but not as a guest in this episode. In this episode, my dear friend Muna asked me to be the narrator. And so, meet Muna. People know me as Muna Meals because I am a foodie. I have a food page. I cook. I have a baking business. I recently just started it just this April. And people are like, what? I always think you've been doing this for like the past years. I don't know. So I am from Minneapolis, recording this from Minneapolis right now. I was born here, raised here until I moved to Oman, Salala Oman, when I was about in fifth grade or so. I moved over, lived there for four-ish years, learned the Quran there. My parents wanted us to go there so we can learn Arabic and alhamdulillah, it's still going strong. Um, when I got back, I was in, I think, fifth grade. And then I, my parents took me to an Islamic school here in Minnesota. I graduated from there. Um, I am the middle child. I have two older siblings and two younger siblings. And um, I currently am a senior at the University of Minnesota. I study management information systems and minor in computer science. And besides my hobbies, which are food and baking and just going, having fun, having halal girl summer, um, my real, my job is I am a data engineer at 3M. I'm currently doing an internship there, and inshallah, I hope to work there in the future. So yeah, that's who I am. I'm al-Hazn. A year of sorrow. That's the title that Muna chose for her episode today. She tells her story in four parts. Beginning January 2020. Before she starts, we'd like to give a trigger warning because the topics and the story that she shares go over some difficult aspects of men- mental health and topics relating to suicide and suicidal ideation. My intention with sharing this story is that people can benefit. I think this is a hard story for me to share. It took me like a couple of months for it to even open up to my closest friends about it. And alhamdulillah, my friend who's actually sitting here next to me, she said this can be your closure in a sense um, because it was a really hard time and I, I definitely will get emotional. Even now my voice is shaking just because my body reacts to bring up the story again. Um, this is a year-long story, and it's still continuing, and alhamdulillah, despite struggle, you know, I think that um, we are, we, struggle fashions us into people who, who we are. So um, embrace it, and Allah tests who he loves. That's what I try to remind myself now that I'm in the aftermath, and to always be grateful. You'd think a year full of sorrow would start with a sorrowful event. However, Muna begins her story by sharing the most beautiful place that, you know, every Muslim dreams of going to, Umrah. Um, so Umrah, wallahi, it was, the way it even came about, alhamdulillah, I think is a miracle. I think this whole trip was a miracle to me. It was a mini miracle. It was um, preparing me for the storm that was about to come. Um, my heart was, alhamdulillah, very, the whole year I was making dua. The one dua I had on my mind is Umrah. And I always tell people who want to go to Umrah is how 
how often are you mentioning it in your dua? That's going to determine if you're going to go or not. Like, are you mentioning it in every single prayer? You know, so... Um, so I have a question. Wait, so you're telling me you went to Umrah just before COVID hit. Like, you were... Oh, people. just before So COVID. basically, basically, <laughs> I'm going to say it. Basically, there's the there's the Prophet Sallallahu there's the Sahaba, there's the Tabi'in, and there was your group who <laughs> got to go to Umrah just before oh, yeah. COVID. Because as you know, like... um. People people can't go on Umbra right now. It's very difficult. It's very exclusive right now. There's only certain countries, um, obviously because of the global pandemic. And you guys were the lucky group that went just before the the the, the storms, the like the pandemic began. And so you guys are a very special group. Like I would say, you guys were that special group. Like oh for sure. <laughs> I would say then your group, <laughs> because you guys were clearly chosen by Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Um, to come and the last group of people to come from overseas like that. Well, I can talk for days and days and days about Mecca, and especially Medina. I could talk about it for days. May Allah, may Allah allow us to visit his house soon. We truly were one of the lucky people. I just, alhamdulillah, I'm eternally grateful for that. And I've re- recently just made, again, the intentions to go this year. Even It's not looking possible because it's the climate, but inshallah next winter. Um, but I'm going to talk about Medina first because that's my favorite place. Medina... Uh, as much as I want to say seeing the Kaaba was like the moment for me, my moment was walking into Medina, or walking into the Masjid Nabawi. So my friend, I asked her, she went to Umrah. I was like, what is it like? Just describe it to me just so I can prepare myself. Because everybody says that when you go to Medina, Mecca, you're going to get a feeling. And wallah, I was scared. I'm like, what if what if my, my, my iman and my faith is not high enough that I'm going to get this feeling? Because my friend... Top of her game, mashallah. I'm like, you, you're speaking from your perspective. I think I'm not at your level, so I was scared. I was not gonna get the feeling, and I think the amazing thing about Medina, whether you're a person who has lowest of the lowest faith and the highest of the highest faith, everyone everyone feels the calmness of Medina. It's a universal feeling that everyone can agree upon, and so I walked. So she described it to me. Let me tell you how she described it. She says, when you walk into the marble floors of the um, of the haram which is uh, Medina, you're going to, I'm oh, sorry, the Masjid Nabawi, you're going to feel as if you're floating and if, is as if the heavens are closer to you and if, as if the sky and the clouds are closer to you, in a sense. That's what she told me. Wow. And I can I can swear to you that's literally like that. The truth, huh? I wish I can just describe everything into you in detail. The, the marble floors, the the umbrellas, everything, the green dome. I, I got excited when I saw the green dome, knowing that the Prophet so I was awesome. lying under there. It's like, you see people... All salaming the Prophet, um, even just people don't even turn their back to the place where the Prophet oh, wow. is buried, and you see people walking sideways. Wow. It's it's a it's a it's a experience for Medina and Mecca. The culture is you go like four hours before Salah if you want a good spot. Mm-hmm. Four I, hours, literally. bro. I heard, <laughs> I heard somebody tell me that somebody advised them if you want to make it to Dhuhr Salah, be ready at Fajr. <laughs> like they said, <laughs> they told so her, they told her to pray Fajr at. The- and don't go oh home. My God. I said, don't leave, I don't said, leave. you died. She goes, I thought, well, I died. <laughs> I died, bring but I did it. Food, yeah, bring your water, well, bring I, everything. She You're literally not told me, I, I basically packed my bags for that one event. And one thing, Alhamdulillah, I'm so glad that I did while I was in Umrah. And if anybody um, does go to Umrah, I highly recommend this is to journal while you're there. Journal, write yourself notes, write little things you like. And so the reason I remember all of these things in detail is because I have notes and notes and notes of just the things that I saw. And so one thing I want to do with each part is give you guys an ayah 
that's going to wrap it up together for you. I'll say at the beginning, I'll say at the end. And for part one, the ayah that I try to take a lesson from, because my goal with this is to make sure you don't leave with just a story, but you leave with a lesson learned. Um, chapter one, I um, gave it the ayah of لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها. Allah does not burden a soul beyond what it can bear. Muna returns from Umrah, having made all the du'as that she wanted, asking for Allah's support and blessings in all the things that she intended to pursue and put her energy towards for the year. So she begins her second semester of her freshman year very driven and highly motivated and I come in, I'm still a marketing and computer science double major. I also get two jobs. I get um, a job as an IT tech help person, and I get a job as a computer science teaching assistant, which was pretty rare for a freshman to have. Um, I just, alhamdulillah, connected with my professor, and I got the job very, um, very early on. And so I was juggling two jobs, and I was about like 17, 18 credits of like calculus courses, computer science courses, a bunch of management and like um, business ethics and just accounting, accounting, yeah, that was a class that was also very hard. And so I'm juggling all these things, plus of course student groups and social friends and family and commuting, all these things. Muna describes her experience almost as the opposite of what a procrastinator feels like. And she uses the term hyperproductivity. So whereas, in pro- while you're procrastinating, you're really putting off things uh, and maybe not like following through with anything that's written on your to-do list. Hyperproductivity is having a non-ending to-do list and making sure that you're doing something at every minute of every day. We asked Muna to describe what a day like that looked like for her. Um, I'd get up 8 a.m. in the sorry 6 a.m. in the morning catch a bus that left at 7 a.m., get to my work, my job, which I'd be, have to be at by 8 a.m. And keep in mind, I'm doing work on the bus too. And I'd get to work. It was a very mentally bearing job. Like, it was a tough job. I'd get out of that job at around 8 to 1 o'clock I'm working. I'd run. I have a class at 1.30. i go to Chipotle. I run. I literally run to Chipotle. I quickly scarf down a bowl, and then I hop on a bus. I hop on a bus, and then I have a test at 1.30. By now, it's like 1.15, and the campus is humongous, and my class are on the other side of campus. I'm studying for the exam. I get into the exam, alhamdulillah. I take the exam, I do well, and I'm like moving on. I have like a 15-minute break. I run to my other class. Maybe it's a discrete mathematics course. And then that class, I have a quiz in it. finish that, and then I have like, alhamdulillah, a 30-minute break. Like Finally, I can sit down and at least get my mental health together and just like get myself together 30 minute break i run to my taing course now i'm gonna be a ta until 8 p.m finish my taing course and then i ran over because i'm in a i was in a business committee like for a, a week that we we're planning and i finished that meeting and then i go to a private room it's like 9 p.m at this point and i'm like finally alhamdulillah my day is done and i get the notification oh the quiz is out i'm like oh, okay i don't think i did too bad you know like i studied the night before and so i Look at my grade, and I got a 50%. And I tell you, I don't think I've ever cried, like, like such so quickly after seeing my... And I'm never type to cry about, like, alhamdulillah. Like, I, even if I do bad, I don't usually just cry about, like, grades. Just, like, whatever, we move on. C's get degrees. Like, what can we do? But that day, I feel like I worked hard for that, and I really wanted a good grade. And you know what's the most heartbreaking times is when you think you did good on a test or a quiz, and then you don't. And so I cried, I cried, I cried, I cried. And I was in a private room right after leaving the meeting. 
and um i just listened to some quran i remember what i listened to i listened to um ahmed al nufais he's one of my favorite reciters i listened to that voice and to that conversation Allah, alhamdulillah it calmed me down i went home and i slept and then the semester continued like every day no remorse in college has no remorse for nobody it continues it continues and professors don't care nobody cares you just have to keep going and you'll see like this is the reason i broke i think i really did break like i think my when my tell you i break i think my brain split in half and was incapable of doing any work my body was not able to get off its bed anymore because of the burnout i felt like i was burning i think societally there's really no pause button that's normalized everything comes secondary to productivity even your life even health it reminded me of times where i talked about how professors say take your time but they don't mean those words or i'm flexible i'm understanding or come to me when you need support but those being very empty words and the expectation never changing of peak performance regardless of your life circumstances thankfully this jam packed back to back routine that was burning muna out was interrupted by something that interrupted all of us which is covid covid really said pause to everyone covid gave her the necessary pause button to at least have more time back to herself from the back to back routine that she had to do daily even though like i i don't want to ever say that like it's a blessing because a lot of people were um died because of it and Allah rahmah my own grandma died because of it but it still bought me something and that was like time and just um more like more time for myself and so i started working from home which is awesome i started school from home and my professors were easier on us and so that um was alhamdulillah a pretty good time and so it was my birthday april 15th Unfortunately, I had um a friend fall out right around my birthday. And so this day my birthday is not like amazing memory. Um I had some friends fall out and I won't go into details just to respect them, but friends who I've known for like 10, 8 years, we weren't talking anymore. And I think something about college is a lot of things change in college. Um people become different, people go different paths, people become who they are. And it led to unfortunately a fall out of friends who I cared about. and that bought severe severe mental health problems for me that was like you're already I'm already dealing with the load that I mentioned earlier semester's not over yet semester ends in May and so I had to literally go to this part of my brain this sad part of my brain gr- grieving the loss of my friends and like um and just pull it out and put it to the side like I had to really just put it in the closet and hide it and be like mona you can't think about this or else you were your academics will suffer this metaphor of like putting away complicated or heavy to understand emotions or process them even um is highly relatable in the regard that we're really given no room to emotionally express or emotionally like take a time to process or understand or even give ourselves some rest time to grieve things that we lose i understand the ain't nobody got time for that you got a you got classes or Like the moment you start opening a box of feelings it's like you don't know how deep it's going to go and you don't know how long it's going to overcome you and sometimes not opening it or just stowing it away is the first coping mechanism 
to go to because that's the expected coping mechanism out of us. Get it together. Stop. Oh, get over that. Or it's not that deep. Our initial responses to things of heavy emotions that even a listener might not, might be reluctant to hear about in your life. And so chapter one ends on all these experiences and the fast-paced, the fast-paced life of Muna, but also the growing closet of unknown that she kept moving along with. All of those, that closet, basically, that closet opens up without my permission and it just pushes me down. That closet, and that closet, I guess there was other things in there that I didn't know about that I was hiding up in there because it really pushed me down so hard and I got some severe, severe depression. I started isolating myself. And I think um, these are some, I'm going to mention some of the signs you might see in somebody. So if you see somebody who's like this, talk to them, reach out to them. And, you know, I started isolating myself. I started getting angry very quickly. Like the smallest thing took me off. Like my sister, I think, can say she um, saw this firsthand was that I was always angry. Um, I would always have my phone in. I'd wake up late, sleep late, um, wouldn't take care of my hygiene the way I should have. You know, just these common signs of depression. It was literally happening to me. I, I think my mom, what she realized was when the same way I used to go to in Mecca, I used to just sneak out, you know, and just like go alone. I started doing that a lot. I started doing that uh, like every time around Maghrib, I I even pray Maghrib at the park sometimes. I I just sneak out and I'd go to the park and just sit there for hours on end. Some days I'd have my kitab, some days I wouldn't. And um, this time, Alhamdulillah, one thing I'm very happy with this time is I built my relationship with Allah. Alhamdulillah. Um, I was able to read the Quran more, just listen to lectures more. And um, I think one thing I did wrong was read into the um, khalwa, which is isolation. The Prophet ﷺ did it. But I think as a person who was going through mental problems, khalwa or isolation is not for you. You should not be in a place where your thoughts can engulf you, you know. And so I did that, thinking that I'm doing a prophetic, you know, sunnah. Um, that, oh, Mona, you're good, you know, you're doing khalwa, you're thinking, you know, you're thinking more about the meaning of life, you're thinking more and more and more, but thinking can lead to severe problems, like, and I really just tell people to don't think too much, so I don't start thinking about, like, the origin, and, and even, like, shaitan is where he comes to you is through doubts, even, like, through your thoughts. In addition to Mona experiencing her summer, the way she's described, she added on taking Quran classes to take up more of her time. In Ardeen, it emphasizes really the pace in which you approach learning the deen. And even in your practice, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, encourages the uptake of moderate and like consistent approach in increasing your acts of worship or, you know, just when you want to learn more about the deen, it's important in which pace you're approaching it. So for Muna, her pace was drastically different. She talked about how that drastic change and like drastic increase of worship and engaging with the deen and reading and learning, how it had an adverse or opposite effect than what it would have otherwise on her. And it really, like, it really hit me heavy because, um, as I mentioned in the um, ayah earlier, لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله. Allah says in the Quran that if we were to send this Quran upon 
a mountain, you'd see it break and crumble from the khashiyah of Allah. And I don't know the dark translation, but just the awareness of Allah, you know. And I'm saying, imagine a mountain is breaking. Why would you not break? My, my teacher um, really pushed me, and I don't think that was good for me. Um, and so I, she took it, actually, she said the class is going to be taking a break. Um, so this was, I took the classes in July. So May, I was, May was when my depression was real bad. Like, I was just, like, having all this time. I was like, July, something has to change. Um, something I like about my story is, like, it's really, it's really it has, like, a, a pat not a pattern, but, like, it's in order. And so each month has something that was going on. And so July, I took those courses. And then August, I was free. August was, um, August was a month. That's how I'm going to wrap up chapter two, is I broke. And just like the ayah says, the mountains break, and so do we. Because the Qur'an is something that's very heavy and we have to treat it like something that is worthy of nothing but the best. So whenever you approach the Qur'an, approach it in a, um, a manner that you are ready for it. So um, the ayah that I gave this chapter is um, I don't think I can say that I exercised patience the way I wanted to in this, but I still do think that um, Alhamdulillah, like if I got through, I was able, and now now I'm able to look back and be thankful, and I'm still practicing patience because this problem is not a problem that just died down. But so July ended, and my classes ended, and now ever so busy Muna is back to never ever so free time Muna. So now I have all the time and all the time of day again, and this time instead of just getting hit with a, a wave of depression, I get hit with a wave of depression and mania. So mania is a symptom of bipolar disorder. And that's where people start, the person who is experiencing it starts to lose consciousness. They start to lose sense of self and sense of the world and reality. And you start to really, you are not yourself anymore. You're not in your right mind. You are not able to conceive things and you're not able to see things the way other people see them. So Right now, I have my friend sitting in front of me. I wouldn't see my friend. I'd see a black figure, a completely dark black figure, who wants to attack me. My brain was just seeing other things. And um, I was not myself. For I th And this lasted two months. It lasted um, August and September. And those two months of my life, if you ask me to give them a name, they're literally blackness. Like, they're just darkness. I don't see anything but um, as if... And this is how I describe it. Um... It's as if somebody dug my grave and they forcibly put me down there and not a regular six feet grave, maybe 20 feet. And they tucked me into the corner. You know how the way um, Muslims dug their grave is they dug a little corner in there. And so they pushed me into that corner and they closed me up, of course, with the sand and they said, get yourself out of it. It's all on you. And those two months was success going up and then going back down deeper and then going higher and then finally going back down, 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 maybe 50 feet this time. And then finally, alhamdulillah, I think this, my recovery process might have been complete even today, I think, like in the last month or two months when I'm finally comfortable speaking about it is when my recovery, you could say, from this dark time um, finally happened. I have a question, um, Muna. What, did yeah. your, when you were going through that episode for those two months, did your family realize there was something wrong, something was going on? Did they did they know what it was, or that it was it something they were like, seek like Googling? Like was it something they knew, or was they just as confused mm -hmm. um, about what was happening to you? 
yeah so my fa- so i'll tell you the first night i think this was literally the night after like my teacher said like the quran class is like closed um my sister my friend actually was i'm um, just like hanging out with me that day and she could tell that i was irritated like she i was just getting like just agitated very quickly and i was like i was in my ma- my mode of like what is the purpose of life you know when people just transcendence like all those thoughts mm-hmm. and they lose themselves in thoughts like what's the purpose of life like yeah and in a sense, I also became uber religious. And I think um, I have this a lot of people where they become very religious yeah, and like they run into the, they come into the deen running. Yeah, and if I, you do that, Allah will knock you down. My my friends, though, they saw it because, of course, your friends are the people who you talk to the most. Um, and I'd be like, guys, let's not watch these shows. And even though, like, um, you know, shows are something, it's better to stay away from them. I was like, I'm a big K-drama fan. Um, I, wa- I, like, I like my shows, you know. Um, and so they're like, um, when you're not spending any more time on social media and I'm a pretty creative person I like to make videos I like to that's my hobby you know and suddenly I'm becoming this person who's like no no shows guys um, no idle talk you know and like all these things and I'm taking the extreme of everything like everything's in moderation you know like don't watch shows 24-7 but don't cut off shows you know yeah. stuff like that and you so just they went, you realized you changed it. overnight like you became overnight overnight exactly yeah subhanallah oh my god yeah and so they realize these things and like um she tell me maybe like why can't we just like i'd be like okay we're idle talk we're just wasting time guys why am i talking about allah like you know like there's you should enjoy everything in moderation you know so something i want to talk about is the things you go through while you're experiencing bipolar and specifically like things like mania and psychosis and what leads to it because um i think it's a mental health problem that you can catch diagnose and figure out before it happens because once you happen once it happens it's as if you jumped off a cliff there's no coming back um but when you're running to that cliff somebody can say hey slow down you know and so um the first thing that happened to me and this was i think the biggest biggest problem was i lost sleep for three days i did not get a wink of sleep and over the next course the course of duration of two months i did barely slept I'd sleep every every two days. I'd get about a little a couple hours of sleep to the point where my family was seriously considering taking me to the psych ward because that was the only way that I'd sleep. And I remember begging them, please don't take me there. Please don't take me there because I really had negative impressions of the psych ward. And in a sense, they do have negative parts. Um, so take care of yourself um, in a sense that you'll be able to diagnose these problems if you're if this is something that you fear for yourself. So some of the other things that I went through were um, very quick thoughts, just never, my brain never stopped. And I think this was something I al- always had as a person was just this hyper, um, hyper brain activity and my brain never stopped. And um, I think the part that was scariest for me, and I'll end it, I'll end this, um, my symptoms with this was, I thought I was dying. I thought that um, I was it got to one one point. At one point, it got to a point where I thought the ruh, my ruh, which is my soul, was leaving my body. And Islamically, we believe that the when you're dying, the soul starts from your feet, and it travels up, and your feet start to die, and then your knees, and then your um, stomach, and then your head, and all the way up until the soul leaves your body. And there was points where I thought that that was literally happening to me, and I where my family tells me, because I don't remember a lot of these things. It comes to me, like, even today, like, something came to me. Um, It comes to me at random points. And something they told me was that I was yelling the answers to the grave questions. Man rabbuk, ma dinuk, and man nabiyuk. And I was answering, 
I'm Muna, I'm a Muslim, you know, I believe in Allah, and I'm saying all this in Arabic, which is the funny part, um, but yeah, and all these weird things happen, and I think um, that's when people can really tell what someone's going through, because some of these things are very internal, um, but to answer Atta's question of, of did my family notice, they definitely noticed when I started to get violent, and I start to think that the people who were around me were shaitan, literally, because when somebody's also dying, there's another Islamic tradition where um, shaitan will come to you in the form of people he you love, either past or alive, maybe mostly past. But I think that my family were people were shaitan, and they were trying to guide me away from going to Jannah. And I'd fight them. I'd literally physically hit them. And when you're in the state, you have a different sense of power. You have like a very, you're very strong. It's the adrenaline in you. And you're not aware, of course. And my mother, she was like, a mother's love is like no other. Um, when I went, when I was doing these things with her, I'd fight my sisters, and eventually they'd back down and leave me alone and let me just wreak havoc on myself and just do whatever I wanted. But my mother, I would put her, pull her hair out, hit her in the stomach, make her fall, everything, and she'd still be standing there, hard as a rock, making sure that I was okay, at her own expense. And I hope Allah blesses her for all the things that she did to me. The, the love of a mother is cannot be equivalent equivalent to anything else and um, some of the things that helped me um, get out of this was just being dealt with in a caring manner the way that I think most psych wards will not give but if you do come to this point in your life um, and if you have family members that are not able to deal with this never blame them for taking you to the psych ward never ever say it was a selfish move because um, when you're dealing with somebody with bipolar disorder, you just cannot, you don't know what's coming next. They can get a knife and stab you. Anything can happen, really. I'm not saying they're violent people, but in that state of mind, it's not them who's acting. And remember that if you ever um, were to deal with somebody with, who had such an illness, please remember that the things they say and the things they do are not coming from them. It's coming from a, a thing inside of them that they wouldn't normally act upon. So don't take it too heavy on them and um, try not to recount the things that they did to them in the future because that was a hard place for them and they don't want to be reminded of that. There was one night after my friend left me um, and she, well, she left around Maghrib time. And that same night, I remember just being like, my mind was racing. And this is one of the signs of like um, bipolar and just mania is that your mind feels like somebody took a gear, like a like a little like little lever and like they just like like, um, and I'm doing a hand a hand motion where like they're just running your mind like run run like your mind is going at a thousand miles per hour where the oh, average wow. person is like 50 miles per hour you know, and you can't stop thinking. So I'm thinking about all these things. I'm thinking about like my um, um, what's the word existential questions. I'm thinking about wow. um, friendship problems. I'm thinking about those girls from the past who I like, I'm not I'm not friends with anymore. Again, I was also trying to hide that back into that closet by going to classes, um, Quran classes. Wow. I was like, just trying to hide it. And then again, all the closet items, they came rushing back and they were like tripled in size this time. Like the demon was even bigger. And so the demon increased and so did the mental health problems, you know? And so this time it was not depression anymore. It was mania. So that night I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. So I went to my sister downstairs and I was like, Ayan, I can't sleep. Um, like my phone, I'm scared of my phone. Like that's one thing I was worried about. Was I was scared of my phone. I was scared of text messages. I'd see things differently. I'd be like, my friend would be like, hey, how are you? Instead, I'm reading, hey, I hate you. That's literally what I'm Allah. reading. My family was my rock throughout this all. If I didn't have them, I think I, I wouldn't, I'd still, I'd be in a nine month long 
um, mania, like episode, like it wouldn't have left me. And these kind of things, I know of people who will, they don't have supportive families and um, it's hard. It's a tough time. Like they have yeah. to deal with this on their own. And yeah. it's not a, yeah, it's not an easy yeah, place. Yeah, and sometimes it sucks because like some families might not be familiar with things like this and they might mm-hmm. think you're overreacting or that there's nothing wrong with you because they don't want to admit to themselves that their kid might be going through something, you know? And and and, mm-hmm. and mental, just generally the topic of mental health, I'll be with you, right? Mm. Like yeah. it's it's a very taboo topic, right? And a lot of, especially diaspora, especially like in the small community, a lot we've lost a lot of youth to mental health, and it could have been prevented. It, it could have been resolved had the conversation of mental health was beginning to evolve in the home in our homes that like we were having conversations about because again like mental health is it's a tricky topic because it's not something they can see all the time you know what i mean like it's not fit like it's not always like a, a overly physical right um and so because they can't see it like if it's not a wound you know a broken arm then they, they it's not there and that's and that's a huge huge problem in our community huge um but alhamdulillah the conversation is changing Right, we're be, we're talking about mania, and we're, uh, we're talking. Is it mania? <laughs> Am I pronouncing um, it wrong? I, my mania is more of like the symptom of bipolar. Yeah, yeah. So I'd call it bipolar. Yeah, bipolar. So by like having bipolar, bipolar or having yeah. you know even addiction issues and having addiction. Yeah, yes, yes, and yes, like yes. um, I'm so proud of the sexual the assault. Sexual assault. Oh my god, taboo. And I'm so proud of the yeah. Somali youth in particular, or just first so generations so proud, yeah. and uh, kids and uh, people, a young adult group in this, in this country. I'm so proud of them for owning it and saying, like, I'm not going to be ashamed of this. You know, I'm not going to take on the shame that, like, was kind of ingrained in our parents. You know what I'm saying? And that we're being liberated by saying, hey, like, let's talk about it. Like, I, I suffered this way. And, and, and it was hard. And, there, and there's nothing, I'm not weaker because of it. You know, I'm not broken oh, because much. of it. That's the issue, Your right? People is unique. Yeah, and it's you. yeah, and they think it broke the and like, it, and people hide it. Wallahi. And I know many women are listening today, thinking, thinking, listening to your story, saying, "Oh my God, Subhanallah, I went through this. I had insomnia. I had depression. I had bipolar, but it was not diagnosed. I didn't know what those words. I didn't mm-hmm. talk to my friends. I didn't talk to my parents because it's not talked to me about. You know, talked with me and, um, and they're hearing this. They're hearing this saying like, "Oh my God, I, 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 I share." in that similar experience and like i just want to tell them that you've never been alone you know mm-hmm. oh that's i love your message right there because i yeah. wish if i heard that in this my recovery stages i would have felt more comfortable with my story alhamdulillah now i'm at a point where i'm very comfortable with it and i'm like this is my story and no one can take that from me like, yeah um these made me a better person this made me who i am and you you know whatever it is wherever your story is sexual assault I'm so sorry for that to happen to you. If it was yeah. addiction, if it was mm-hmm. other um, depression, I just know that that's your that's your story. You have to own it. You have to be proud of it. Ada's message is very crucial to hear, and is a message that I would tell my younger self, um, the self that was going through a lot, and what I also would like to tell anyone who's listening to this or knows somebody that's going through things. I can't emphasize the importance of not alienating someone who is, you know, either has told you about what they go through or you've seen them have behavioral expressions of the mental health challenges that they have. Because the more you normalize a person, the more you humanize a person and you don't look at them for just 
the aspect of their health that they're experiencing, the more that you're contributing to their healing and not adding to their pain and adding to what is already weighing in on their life. If I had heard Muna's story the time that I was, that I felt the most isolated or the most uh, in my head while going through things, I know that it would have saved my life. And even now, hearing her story has healed a part of me that I didn't know had healing left. What do you say to women, right? Right, there are there are women who obviously like are, um, especially in, uh, during the global pandemic, a lot of people um, suffered from depression this year. And last, you know, this year, last year, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people have and um some of them never had it before and they're just have you know what i mean like a lot of people and um and for some people be- like the way they see it that because they were sad they felt like they were ungrateful and because they felt like they were ungrateful to allah so that all things they had they felt like they weren't unworthy of allah and so they would stop praying or like stop you know what i mean like because the depression is really hard bro you don't get out of your bed it's so hard like it's not easy you know what i'm saying you don't you don't take showers. You don't. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get out of your bed. Oh, yeah. It's hard to see the sun. Everything looks gray. You know what I mean? Like everything you see, I, you see all you see ahead of you is just darkness when you're in that place. And I, you know, um, yeah. something I describe it as mm-hmm. is when a normal person with a mental with a normal mental health, mm-hmm. when they look ahead in their future, they see you know the average things. They are getting married. They're having children. They're getting a job promotion. They're gonna have grandchildren. They're gonna buy a house. Mm-hmm. But a person and specifically a suicidal person mm-hmm. which is something that is more happens more commonly in the muslim community and needs to be talked about way more instead of shunning mm-hmm. it and saying mm-hmm. that it's haram we um a suicidal person all they see is darkness yeah, they don't see those life events yeah. they just see a life of dark and gray and who would want to live such a life yeah. Really, let's be completely honest with you. If you were told, like, not that they're being promised that, and I think they just lack the hope that yeah. they're going to um, have that normal life, they're going to have that successful life, you know? Yeah. And um, to tell somebody who's depressed, um, personally, I'm trying to imagine, I mean, I did, I mean, if I was, when I was in that place, I wish I heard that this is a very, very normal thing and that you're not alone. And um, act- during my recovery, I started listening, or actually I, before, but I didn't listen to this specific episode of the Heartwork series under Qalam Institute, which mm-hmm. is one of the podcasts I tell always people to listen to. And my favorite surah in the Quran is Surah Maryam. Mm-hmm. And um, this is one of the stories that I always remind myself with whenever I'm really on a, having a down day, is this depression and sadness and even suicidal thoughts is such a normal thing that Maryam alayhi salam went through that. The most, the most... Um, the one of the women prophet promised Jannah. Yeah. Like she went through that. Why do you think that like you're bad or you're like have yeah. less iman? Mm-hmm. If she went through that, what does she say in the Quran? Um, when she was having um, Isa alayhi salam and she was against the 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 palm tree, she was saying, mm-hmm. She was, if only I died before this point of my life and I was completely forgotten. That's a whole suicidal thought. Yeah. Like, that's because that's the pain was, was, yeah, it was so overwhelming. So she just rather died because she didn't see a way out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and we're 100%. talking about Mariam, you know what I mean? Like, Mariam. we're talking about, like, you know, she a heavy, she's a heavy hitter, you know what I'm saying? And for her to say, like, even a state of pain, 
so much pain. And she was alone. She wasn't with anybody. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, I mean, Allah SWT was with her. But physically, she was alone, you know? And um, yeah. and you can imagine giving birth in the middle of nowhere by yourself. Alone. Just, alone, in pain. It's just scary. You know? And, like, and, 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 and pain isn't just, like, in this, in this context, pain could just be anything, right? For her, it was also, physical labor. Her, For you, it could be... It was labor, Plus mm-hmm. the thought of the fact that she's about to confront her whole community with the fact that she had a, a child out of wedlock. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. She thing. has to lose so much. And so what I tell a person who's going through that or did go through that or um, feel shameful of it is just think about that. Like the Prophet ﷺ had Amr Huzn. Mm-hmm. He had a whole year of sorrow, you know. So don't he think did. that depression is a thing that makes you less um, Islamic than the than the next, or is a thing that you're weird for. Yeah, the um, Prophet so, even described it as like when the Sahabas thought that he was a little too sad, a little too long. He responded to them saying, "I'm I'm a man first. I'm a mm-hmm. human first. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I feel, I have feelings. You know, I mm-hmm. I'm 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 no different than you. I also know that." as different or as many shared genres of mental health struggles that we have like even like depression is one of the most common mental health uh ailments that people experience and even though like a lot of people experience depression their own experience of depression is uh very unique to them very specific to them how it looks like is very specific to them just like how we're unique in how we experience our own mental health conditions, we also are very individualized in terms of what helps. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is to not treat a person like, or to not step into a role of a doctor, a role of savior, a role of God, in a person who you know struggles with something. I think part of not alienating or um, mistreating somebody who you know is going through stuff is really ensuring that you are not taking on new behaviors in which was not associated with the relationship dynamic that you already had. So if you're a friend, be a friend. Like, call them up or you know, have like do the same activities that you would do with them instead of feeling like or perceiving them as fragile or broken or that something that needs to be fixed. And a thing that I've noticed people fixate on is this better, this, when is this gonna, when are you gonna, or are you, are you still like the way you are? If you're experiencing or living with a chronic like uh, things, aspects of your mental health that is not like a one-time experience and go, you, the person who's going through stuff is going to experience that and deal with those throughout their life and they're going to learn how to manage it. And it's their personal thing. And it should not um, like be dealt with as, oh, here, the that version of you or that aspect of you. Like, are you still... Like, are you still going through it or is still, or are you going through it every day? Like, please respect the time that, and like just the autonomy or even how every person is living their everyday life, N- being happy every day and not having any problems with in one aspect of your life is not like a, 
like the only way we should be living. Like, oh, you should not be feeling sad or you should not be feeling this. No, people have different lives and Allah has given us all a different um, set of life experiences. And ultimately, all of our all of our pain and all of our challenges and all of our hardships, as well as the test of ease as well, because that's also a test. And all of that ends, you know, when, inshallah, we all enter Jannah. And so I feel like there's a level of akhlaq and courtesy and importance in the way you approach and engage with people that you know about you know about their health. Knowing about somebody's mental health condition is something that is, you know, you should feel honored to know. You should feel privileged to know. And more importantly, you're responsible for yourself and how you, you know, carry yourself. And that person, most importantly, trusts you enough to share those aspects of their life with you. And I think there is... Uh, manners in which you need to carry yourself and things that you need to watch out for that people that is societally habitual like things that you've been um there's an implicit bias that jumps out in which you no longer see the person as capable or people start stepping into the role or feeling insecure about how to support you or feeling like oh my god what should i do oh oh my God, or tiptoeing around the person, like, please act normal, act regular. And I think act yourself, whatever that looks like, act how you've been, obviously not the version of you that was harmful, but act how you've been with the person that you see going through it. I think that's something that I want to to emphasize. And for those who go through it, every day or who have or listen to this like yes that's me like oh my god like there's like people like like me listening to heavy topics about suicide and mental health and you know depression having firsthand experience makes me feel like okay I'm not like shadonic for having those thoughts or like oh somebody else goes through this, oh, I'm normal for going through this. That's the effect that it had on me. And I I know that anyone else listening to this might have the feeling of, ah, I'm glad to know it's not just me. And in that, we can create and foster a supportive community, a one that doesn't just send people away for struggling with the thing that we're supposed to, we've been given to struggle with. There's a confusion aspect of it. There's the wanting to hide those parts of yourself. There's the figuring out of it. There's the trying to get people to understand how you experience it and not the way they already understand something. Um, Because some people will tell you, no, that's not what depression is like. That's not, that's like, or that's not, you're just, you're just behaving in this way or you want attention. And there's different ways people describe how like people's conditions and where they're at without full knowledge and giving the person like first person, like 
in all healthcare settings, they tell you that really like you're not supposed to try to decide for a person what's best for them. Like you won't, you have, you're not experiencing the things they are experiencing internally. So when they tell you something doesn't help, even if a textbook helps, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. If it helps, it helps. And it's really important. It's really giving that person human dignity and autonomy when you put when you respect those requests. And chapter four is the end, the happy ending. You know, Alhamdulillah, Allah gave me a happy ending. And not that I'm ending, but um, I'm just beginning. I like to think when a meal is started in chapter four, <laughs> um, a lot of the thing that people know me for um, is happened in chapter four my degree coming about and my um, internship and all of these things and my baking business and all of these things that people now recognize me for is after all of the struggle that came. And if there's one lesson, I biggest lesson that I want you guys to take from this and anybody who listens to this or anybody who's struggling with this is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. That no matter what you think the future looks like, you Allah has not let you down and Allah will help you. And the ayah that I um, associate with this chapter is, وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ And whoever fears and is God-conscious, Allah will make for him a way out. This chapter is literally that, is Allah making a way out for me of the depression, of the sadness I felt from my friendships being lost. Because I'll tell you some of the things that happened in this phase of my life. First thing, May Allah bless my mother. It's as if she knows what to do at every point. She took me to Somalia. She took me out of the place that was, um, I considered, you know, my mental health were problems where they were happening, you know, my house. And to this day, I don't live in my house, actually. I live with my aunt because I think it's very important to remove yourself from the places that you might have dealt with trauma in. And so my mom took me to Somalia for two months. And alhamdulillah, they were amazing. I was in recovery for half, to be honest. I still had suicidal thoughts. I still was not feeling like myself. Still just wasn't excited about life. Was I was like, where is my life headed? I took a break from school. And if you're somebody like me, you literally associate your value with school. You think that how good you do in school, what job you have, what, um, you know, all these things is how good of a person you are and so I took a break from school I was mad at my sister because she did it for me without my permission or anything because I was I was not in the in the head space to do it um to give her permission but um me my sister my eldest sister and my mother went to Somalia and half of the time I was struggling the second half alhamdulillah was when I started to really recover started to have fun and my sister met her husband there and I like to think that I qadr Allah um all of these horrible events, tragic events that I went through led to us going to Somalia and her meeting her husband. And I would go through them, these tragic events, if it meant she'd meet her husband again. That's how much I love her. And I'm so grateful to them all. And, um, you know, just, I don't know, I can't even explain how much I'm grateful to them. But I went to Somalia. I came back, started January. Now this is, now one year has passed. This whole story that I just told, one year has passed. Um... And now it's January 2021, and I'm starting a new degree. I'm fresh. Like, Muna is, like, trying to reinvent herself, basically. I have a backbone at this point. Like, I did not have a backbone in my future. Like, I am 
really determined to be the person who I want to be now. I'm a sophomore, technically a junior because I skipped a year, alhamdulillah. Despite, you know, just to show you that Allah makes things happen, makes, makes things work out, is that I skipped the semester of school, but I was still a junior. Like, I still managed to still save a year, you know? First semester of the, of my like, of back to school, I was still lost, not gonna lie. I'm not gonna say that, like, you're gonna have this moment where you're like, okay, everything's fixed now, you know? I'm a perfect human being. No, like it's gonna be a every single day struggle. Every day you is better process. One day you're gonna um, take two steps forward and then one step back. You know you're gonna you're going to just it's a varying process. So don't be fearful if your um, path is not straight. This part of my life is basically a series of fortunate events. Like in the last 2020 was a series of unfortunate events, and series 2021 was a series of fortunate events. You know. Um, my I like to think of 2020 January to till now as um, uh, upside down triangle you could say where January 2020 is all the way up there I'm gonna best time of my life best trip of my life and then it just goes down 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 all the way until about November of 2020 and that's when my trip to Somalia happened and then it started going up 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 and I'm not gonna lie to you I think I'm back to where I was when I was at Umrah I'm gonna be going to Mexico tomorrow, actually, <laughs> um, for my sister's bridal shower. Literally, in a couple hours. Like, I'm gonna be on the plane in like five hours. Um, so I'm gonna be gone traveling again, and other series of fortunate events that happen. I met some of the best, best, bestest friends ever. Allah does not take something away from you, and He replace He replaces it with better. Whatever He takes away from you, He replaces with better. And I have the bestest of friends, the most supportive of friends, and. I'm sitting next to two of them right now, and they're just so amazing. I'm so grateful, you know, alhamdulillah. And I started a business, um, Crescent Cakes, and I, my dreams, like, tripled. I'm living my halal girl summer, you could say. And um, my chapter four is testament to the fact that وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهِ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا And I went to wrap up my story with saying, I hope you know that the path that is for you is uniquely for you. And no matter how weird it seems and how inconvenient and how topsy-turny it seems, you will reach a success point and you will be happy. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. وَمَنْ يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ ويرزقه من حيث لا يحتسب ومن يتوكل على الله فهو حسبه إن الله بالغ أمره قد جعل الله لكل شيء قدرا Thank you Muna for sharing the story. That you have, it has inspired me yet again. It has healed me yet again. And I'm sure all the listeners can resonate with the fact that how Allah has been in our lives and how Allah continues to be in our lives is a testament to know that Allah will always be there and will always be in our lives and is in our corner so long as we're working towards Him. And I want to thank the Digital Sisterhood for inviting me to narrate and Muna also asking me to do so. I feel honored uh, to be to have been the narrator. This episode is brought to you by... This episode is brought to you by...
What is it? You act like I know the end of outro. Beautiful Light Studios. Ah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios. Your host is Adar. And for this week, Johara. Oh, this is what you say for the ending? You've never listened to Allah Akbar? I haven't listened to one. I haven't listened to one. Don't expose me like that. I have ADHD. I can't have that pinch of you also to say thank you. Say thank you to the sponsors or the sponsors. Who's our sponsors? Just say thank you to them. There's people out there. Patreon, PayPal. Like, please don't expose me. This is ass of no Just say thank you. Thank you to any of the sponsors. Thank you to all the people who have sponsored this episode and the dedicated listeners uh, who continue to follow this program. And... Cheer us on from afar. So, we'll see you next week. Do I need to redo that? That sounds ghetto. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.